I definitely gave consideration to going with the don't worry, be happy thing for the slide deck here. So we could have independently wound up with that. Well, this past week I finished reading the most fun book I've ever had to read in seminary. I almost always enjoy the books, but fun isn't necessarily the word you would put with them. But this was the biography of a pastor and philanthropist from the 1800s named George Mueller. He was born in Germany, but he moved to England in his early 20s, and that's where he felt called into specific ministry and got involved in different things. And and the interesting thing about him was that he felt that a lot of the Christians he was ministering to did not have a sufficiently strong faith that God was still active and able to sustain their day-to-day lives and needs. And so in 1836, he decided to begin a very visible experiment, uh, a witness, a, a testimony, and a challenge to demonstrate that God was still very real, was very active, and would take care of his people on a day-by-day basis. And he did this by beginning and founding an orphanage for 30 kids. Now, this was about the same time that Charles Dickens wrote Oliver Twist to describe just how horrifically bad the situation was for orphans in England in the 1800s. And, and so he started this out, and his rule was that neither he nor his staff could ever ask anyone for money, and they could never tell anyone about a financial need that they had. Instead, they would pray about every need required for the daily care and feeding and education, because there were no public schools, for 30 children. And then they would wait for God's provision. Because this was meant to be a witness and a challenge to the world that God was alive, he meticulously journaled every prayer request and the response. Over the course of 62 years, God amply demonstrated his ability to provide. He answered over 50,000 specific prayer requests. He provided money and materials for a growing ministry that would ultimately come to care for 2,000 orphans at a time. Speaking in his 90s, Muller said, For nearly 70 years now, every need in connection with this work has been supplied. The orphans from the first until now have numbered 9,500 but they have never wanted, meaning missed, a meal. Never. Hundreds of times we commenced the day without a penny in hand, but our Heavenly Father has sent supplies by the moment they were actually required. There was never a time when there was no wholesome meal. During all these years, I have been enabled to trust in God, in the living God and in Him alone. 1,400,000 pounds have been sent to me in answer to prayer. Now, in today's terms, that's about $150 million. And he never asked for anything of a human being. We wanted as much as 50,000 pounds in one year, and it has all come by the time it's been really needed. No man on earth can say that I ever asked him for a penny. We have no committees, no collectors, no voting, and no endowments. All has come in answer to believing prayer. Well, George Mueller was a man who delighted in God, and he worried about nothing in terms of money or material things. He never kept much for himself. At his death, his estate was valued at a little under 160 pounds. 
Through the course of his life, uh, he had given away something like over 85% of all the money that had been ever given to him for his personal use. He was very famous for giving anything that he got, he would pass on to the poor. Throughout 70 years of ministry, he had refused to accept a fixed salary at any point. He had relied exclusively on free will offerings and gifts from God's people. Mueller embodied the principles that Jesus taught his disciples in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. We are continuing our road trip with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. For the last three weeks, we have been on the road with Jesus, and we have been observing some of his encounters, uh, those that occur after Luke 9.51 declares that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We're going to be traveling alongside him until Easter as he crisscrosses Israel on his final journey to Jerusalem, a a journey to the most important events in human history, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning's passage comes immediately after the parable of the rich fool, which we talked about two weeks ago, and it's found in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, and of course that means because of the things that he just said in the parable of the rich fool. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is Alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember the bottom line of the parable of the rich fool. It was simply this, that we are fools if we are laying up treasure for ourselves in this world and aren't being rich towards God. Today's passage builds on that with a simple message. Don't worry about basic needs. Rejoice in God's goodness. This passage and its parallel in Matthew is one that has certainly comforted me over the years whenever I've been tempted to let anxiety get a hold of me because it's very, very plain. And, and there are a number of reasons here. Ultimately, we see that Jesus gives three reasons why we should not indulge anxiety, three reasons why we shouldn't worry about basic needs. First, Jesus says, don't worry about basic needs. Do what truly matters. We've been talking about what really matters a lot lately. 
But it can be hard to do what matters when we are distracted by the worries of this life. Because let's be honest, it's natural to worry about paying the bills, making the rent or the mortgage, keeping gas in the car, putting food on the table. These are needs that we feel acutely because they come every day or they come every week or they show up in the mail every month. They have a way of burrowing into our minds and setting us on edge whenever things start to get tight. But while it may be natural to worry about these basic needs, Jesus is very clear that life is about so much more than basic needs that we need to get over worrying about those things. In verses 22 and 23, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food in the body, more than clothing. This word in this verse for life could also be translated as soul. And the reason Jesus can say that soul and body are about far more than food and clothing is simply this. We are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings as well. We all have souls, eternal souls. Our souls are going to live forever, whether it's in the presence of God or whether it is forever separated from Him. So we can't just be focused on this present moment in our life, this current crisis we might be experiencing. It can't even be focused on the series of moments that make up our earthly lives. Because after we have lived here for some period of years, whether it's a few or what feels like a lot, we're going to live forever. As believers in Jesus Christ, we will live forever in the glorious presence of God. And given this reality, we need to have an eternal perspective in everything we do. A perspective that is founded on this simple truth, that life is short and eternity is really, really long. Consequently, what we do with our soul and our body is far more important than just matters of food and clothing because our actions have eternal impacts on ourselves and on others. And Jesus assures us that as disciples, we shouldn't be worrying about basic needs because God knows about them. Doesn't mean we shouldn't ask him for them. The point is to not worry about them. And he will provide if we focus on eternal matters, the building of God's kingdom. It would seem that our needs are not as unique as we might like to imagine. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. According to Jesus, since God knows about them, we don't have to worry about them. Again, it doesn't mean we don't take them to him in prayer. We're commanded to take everything to him in prayer. But we don't need to worry about them. Over and over again in this passage, Jesus uses the words anxiety, anxious, worry, fear. Don't be anxious. Why are you anxious? And the point of this is that one of the great joys of faith in Jesus Christ is he doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to rest in him, to have peace in him, to be calm in him. This is a tremendous gift 
in a world that is increasingly anxious about everything. Jesus gives us two examples from nature about how God cares for and provides for his creatures. Verse 24 talks about the ravens and how God cares for and feeds them, even though they're just birds. And I like birds. I like to look at birds. I like to sometimes like to hear the birds, unless it's like when I'm trying to sleep. But usually I'm up before the birds, so that's okay. But as great as birds are, as beautiful as they are, as interesting, as much flavor as they provide to the world, as much useful service as they provide, they are less precious to God than you are. So if God feeds the birds, what are you worried about? Because he loves you far more than he loves birds. Likewise, verses 27 and 28 speak of the lilies in the field, flowers, beautiful flowers, and how beautifully God decorates them, how he makes them gorgeous. I like flowers. I bought flowers last week, right? It's like a law. Cannot do it. But as much as we like flowers, right, if we're honest and we realize, hey, if we go to the florist and pay a fortune, we're buying something that's going to die soon. It's going to shrivel up. Right? So you always get a good deal in your flowers. No, they're going to die out. They're going to dry out. If you lived in Israel 2,000 years ago where there was not a lot of firewood available, you would actually collect up your grass and your flowers and you would, you would burn them for fuel for your oven. That's what Jesus is talking about here. They didn't have a lot of trees in Israel. And so if God goes to the effort to make flowers beautiful, which lives such a short amount of time, what are you worried about? Because he loves you more than he loves flowers. Jesus doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to be free to focus on on what really matters. Verse 31, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. If we focus on what really matters, building up God's kingdom and making disciples, God takes care of the rest. When we let go of the chains of anxiety that we like to build for ourselves, that we like to wrap around ourselves, that we like to to have drag us down, if we let those go in Christ, we find ever greater freedom to do what really matters. And yet, faith is required. These promises and these words are for disciples. They are for believers. No, they are not always rational. No, this is not some name it and claim it false gospel. Right? Jesus isn't saying if you decide you want a pony, you pray about it and you'll get a pony. Right? He's talking about acting in obedience to the clear command of Christ to do God's will, to go and do likewise in faith. We're called to trust that if we focus on God's matters, he will provide what we need. It may not be all that we want. It may not come in the form we would expect. But he knows what we need and he'll take care of it. He could could do it like he did for George Mueller one day when they desperately needed milk for the orphans. They didn't have any money. So probably they were praying for money. I don't know. And instead, a milk truck broke down outside the orphanage. The driver gave them the milk before it would spoil. Jesus' point here, don't worry about basic needs. Do what 
truly matters. Jesus continues saying that don't worry about basic needs because it doesn't help anyway. Right? Not only does it not matter, not only is it going to be taken care of, it doesn't really help to worry about things. The Greek words for anxiety appear four times in this short passage, and, and Jesus is emphatic. Right? Once again, he doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us living a life of anxiety. Instead, Jesus came to bring us peace, peace beyond all understanding, peace even in the midst of an increasingly chaotic world, and I think that would describe our world today. As Paul explains in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, isn't just something we'll enjoy. No, Paul says, we'll guard your hearts and your minds. That peace is protection against anxiety. It is protection against all manner of distraction and sin. We'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We need to realize that peace is a gift from Jesus to his followers. He wants us to accept this. So we should be careful not to just toss it away by choosing to worry about basic needs. Now, Jesus was already clear. We shouldn't be anxious because there's nothing to really worry about. God's got this. But he continued by saying it is pointless to worry. Verse 25 asks, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, the truth is, nobody can add a moment to their life by worrying anxiously. Arguably, I think medicine would say you probably shorten your life by worrying anxiously, but you're certainly not making it longer. And Jesus says, if you can't do a thing like that, which is impossible for us, but quite trivial for him, right? Repeatedly, he extended people's lives, healing, bringing them back from the dead and so forth. But if we can't do something that trivial in his eyes, why waste our time worrying about something else? Verse 26, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? The bottom line here, anxiety and worry waste time and energy. Anxiety exists because we want to control something in our lives that we can't. Right? If we, if we could control that thing, we wouldn't be anxious about it. We would just take care of the problem. So the very nature of anxiety is it's about something that we can't control. So instead, we choose to worry about it because worry gives us the illusion of control. It makes us think we can somehow influence the situation when we can't. But this isn't just some casual illusion. This is a dangerous illusion that, that feeds on itself because anxiety feeds on anxiety. It grows if we let it grow. It grows to consume us. It is something that tempts us to burn all of our emotional and, and, and mental energy on things that we can't change so that we don't use them on the things that we can change, the things that we can do. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has the Spirit of God living within them. 
So whether we realize it or not, there's a great deal that we are able to do and influence in the world through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that each of us has gifts and talents and a specific ministry calling from God to build the kingdom of God. Remember verse 31, seek his kingdom. Those are all things that we can do, that we have been equipped to do, that we are called to do. These are the things we can change. What we can't do is change these things about life by worrying about them. So anxiety is pointless. Don't worry about basic needs. It doesn't help anyway. Finally, Jesus says, don't worry about basic needs because God has given us his kingdom. This is the ultimate joy and truth in this passage. It's found in verse 32. Fear not. All right, what a great thing. Fear not. We live in a world of fear. We are, we are Twittering and Facebooking ourselves into ever greater levels of fear as people and as a country. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's great, uh, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you catch that? It is God's good pleasure, his delight to give you and me his kingdom. How amazing is that? Right? That's the big picture. That's the ultimate reason why we shouldn't fret over the things of daily life. Yes, they're real needs, but we don't need to fret about them. Why we shouldn't worry about things like food and clothing and bills. Again, we, should we pay our bills? Yes. Should we get food? Yes. Should we get a job? Yes. But we shouldn't fret about these things because God has given us entrance into his glorious kingdom. This is such a beautiful truth. It is God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. It, and he doesn't give it to us because we've earned our way into it. Right? It's not a reward for good behavior. It's not our reward for regular attendance in church and Sunday school or being generous when the plate goes around. There is absolutely nothing that we could do to earn our way into God's kingdom because God is perfect and his kingdom, by all logic and rights, is only for perfect people. And none of us here is perfect, I'm sorry to say. Many of you are closer than I am, but none of you are there. I, I'm certain of it. As Paul says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A gift. So despite our problems, despite our shortcomings, God gave us a gift. And he did it with the kind of delight and excitement that if you're a parent, you, you might recognize a little bit of the way you get excited before Christmas or birthday about the presents you're going to give your children. Right? We love to think about when they open up the gift. That's kind of how God is, only, of course, more so. He gave us this gift of grace with delight and excitement. And he, and he gave us this gift of the kingdom, not because we're perfect, but in spite of our imperfection, in spite of our mistakes, our sins, our shame, our lies and our deceit, our cruelty and selfishness, 
our anger and lust. In spite of all that and, and whatever other horrors might be lurking in our hearts, God delighted in giving us his kingdom because of the generosity of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the point of this road trip we're on as a church. Jesus isn't just wandering around Israel telling interesting stories. He is traveling to Jerusalem, moving steadily towards the cross. There in Jerusalem, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the only person in history who never messed up, who really was perfect, who really did never sin, chose to let himself be nailed to a Roman cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And make no mistake, Jesus died because of you and me, because of what we've done. Paul continues in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve the dying, and instead we got the gift, God's kingdom for us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died so that you and I don't have to. Yes, we will die in this earthly life, but... We will live forever in the presence of God. He died to give us an eternal get-out-of-jail-free card. We didn't deserve it, but God loved us so much that Jesus went anyway. He went so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he made it so simple for us to enter into the kingdom to receive the gift, to open it up and make it our own. As Paul explains in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes to accept the gift, to unwrap it, to receive God's kingdom, to enjoy his delights. Right? God loves giving us this. He delights in it. He celebrates it. He rejoices in having us in his kingdom, right? This is almost unfathomable. The creator of the universe is excited that we're in his kingdom, that we're working here to build his kingdom. And because this is his great pleasure, he gives us peace. He gives us peace amidst the storms of life. It gives us peace amidst real needs for food and shelter. Despite everything that's going on around us, trying to pressure us into having more and more fear and anxiety. Right? You can just feel the tension going on right around us. Every day, more tension, more news. It's interesting, last week there was talk about the psychologists had done a study about the, the amount of trauma inflicted on kids because of the amount of Information about the world they're now receiving through social media that they didn't used to have to see. Right? The anxiety and the fear builds in our, in our world. And yet amidst all that, God gives peace to his followers, to those who keep their eye on him and his kingdom. All right, we need to recognize that peace is the opposite of anxiety. It is that settled, steady course. It is that resting in God. That peace is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit 
that it comes as we cultivate our relationship with God more and more through worshiping Him, through praying to Him, through reading His Word every day if we can. That as we do these things, He gives us more and more peace, even amidst all the chaos of the world. As believers in Jesus Christ, God has given us eternity. He has given us forgiveness. He has given us freedom. He has given us His Son. He has given us His Spirit. And He has given us His kingdom. So let's delight in these things the same way, to the best of our ability, like the way God delights in giving them to us. Because we have nothing to worry about. We have the kingdom of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love these truths of your word. They challenge our faith. They challenge our human desire to take care of ourselves and and worry about the things of this life because we don't know what else to do. Lord, you assure us that we can have peace, that we need not worry, that your gift is to not worry, that you will care for us in our need, that if we keep our eye on your kingdom, you are keeping your eye on us. More than that, Lord, we are excited and overwhelmed by the fact that you delight in giving us your kingdom. Lord, help this truth fill us. As we leave this place, help us to think of it often so that it overflows us. We are overflowing with your peace, overflowing with your joy and delight in your kingdom. That in a world that is increasingly scared and and anxious and chaotic, people recognize there is something different about us. That we would freely explain why that is so. Because we are your sons and daughters. We are part of your kingdom. Help us to be faithful witnesses in the days to come. In Christ's name I pray, amen.